continue your study in the book of Galatians that you've been going through. And I actually get to, I have the privilege of kind of leading you kind of into a new section of uh, Galatians. Galatians chapters 3 and 4 kind of begins kind of a new section of, of the book. And so the text that I have for tonight is, is Galatians 3 uh, verses 1 uh, to 14. Um, but first what I want to do before we actually get to the text is just kind of do a little review. Uh, just pick up anybody's new here, or just as a refresher, I know you've been in this, in, this, in this series for a little bit here, but Paul planted these churches in the Roman province of Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, and as he planted these churches, people came to know Jesus, and there was joy, and if you read the book of Acts, there's all these scriptures that kind of testified to just to the joy that the Christians experienced in Galatia. They were set free from, from legalism and from trying to earn God's favor and from idol worship or whatever they had been in before, and they came into a real relationship with Jesus. And they were set free. They were full of joy. Uh, but then Paul, he kind of left, and he went on his way uh, doing church planting, and then these other, we'll call them Christian leaders, came in to Galatia, and they kind of confused the Galatians, because these were particular kinds of Christians who, they believed in Jesus, Jesus is the Messiah, but they also believed that, I mean, Jesus is great, this would be their message, they came to Galatia and they said, really glad you got to know Jesus, I and mean, he's great, he really is great. But if you really want to be spiritual, you gotta be circumcised as well. And if you really want to be circumcised spiritually, you gotta you gotta follow the law. Or do these various religious kind of rules. Uh, in other words, Jesus, he's just not enough. It's Jesus plus something. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus religious rule keeping. Whatever. And and so they kind of confused the Galatians. They were kind of as a result of that. They, you know, they still believe in Jesus. He died on the cross for our sin, but I guess we still got to try really hard to be good and to earn God's favor and to get these kind of better circles of spirituality. And, uh, and so it kind of robs them of your joy. Paul hears about this, and he is so mad. I mean, he is, this letter he writes to kind of confront this, this false kind of, kind of drifting into this false gospel that the Galatians kept kind of drifting. They got to confused by these other leaders who were wrong to communicate those things. And this is like his most, he, he is just so passionate in this letter. It's his most passionate letter. And, uh, and so he, he begins, and he just begins with this really, really in, in, in addressing the issue in really strong, passionate language. Have you, how have you moved away from the pure gospel of grace that I presented to you? And then there's a fascinating section where he kind of tells a story. There's kind of this biographical section, the kind of summary is kind of this. You know, I, Paul, you know, I used to rely on the law. I thought the law was this thing that could give you life. And I built my whole life around the law. My whole life was spent kind of as if on the foundation of trying to follow uh, the law. And I saw these Christians, and these Christians were like not following the law and to the perfect T, like I, like you're supposed to, like the Bible says you're supposed to. And, and because they said this from their heretical leader, Jesus, who's dead, uh, said that, you know, he fulfilled the law. And so they're, 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 they're into this kind of freedom thing. And, Paul says, that's not in the Bible, and, and, and so clearly these Christian things are, are a, a sect, they're inheritance. And so he begins persecuting the Christians. He, he attacks Christians. He puts them in jail. He's trying to destroy the church. He even has some of them killed. And, but then suddenly one day um, he finds out Jesus is not dead. He's alive, and he is knocked off his horse. The risen Jesus appears 
to Paul, and Paul realizes in that instant that he was wrong, the Christians were right, and he immediately does a 180, he, he surrenders his life to Jesus, he receives forgiveness, he begins to, to preach, uh, preach the gospel right away, but at the same time, I just have to imagine, he's probably thinking, how did I get it so wrong? And so, um, anyway, in this kind of biographical sketch, he kind of goes through and he talks about he eventually met with Peter and James and John, the leaders of the church. They affirm you're on the same page. We, we, the gospel really is that good of news. Um, and then he kind of wraps up chapter two with kind of a summary of his kind of premise. And it's really set the stage for the whole rest of the book. It's kind of, he, he gives his kind of final summary, his kind of his premise uh, of the teaching that he's going to jump into. And it kind of ends with uh, the last verse of, Galatians 2, if righteousness were through the law, like I thought it was not through the law, but the law was a sin that could give life, then Christ died for no purpose. Jesus died so to make us righteous, not through the law. And from that, it jumps into chapter 3. But I'm not going to quite jump there yet, so hang on there. We're going to get to the text. But before we kind of really kind of go through the text here, um, I just want to back up and just, again, I said this is the most passionate letter that Paul wrote. He, he is worked up and just want to kind of get in his skin a little bit and ask, why is he so worked up? What, what is going on with Paul right now in this particular issue that he's so incredibly passionate about? So I just want to kind of back up and just, I mean, just can you imagine? You built your whole life on Guantanamo. I mean, his entire life was falling along. And he was positive, he was right, he knew his Bible, he followed his teeth. And can you imagine getting to a certain point in your life, and you, and you even you know, kill people because of this thing, and then suddenly, in one moment, Jesus appears to Paul. Can you imagine that moment he's knocked out his horse, and he suddenly realized, oh my goodness, I've been wrong this entire time. The Christians were right, I was wrong, and, and just everything that he was relying on comes crashing down. The law comes crashing down. And, and so, you know, he, he accepts that reality. He becomes a Christian. He receives forgiveness through Jesus. And, and he even begins preaching the gospel right away. Uh, but, you know, he doesn't actually join the leadership team right away. Instead, I think he spends some time just really asking the question, how could I have been so wrong? How did I miss this? I mean, I knew I know my Bible better than these Christians, and they're right, and I'm wrong. How could I have been so wrong? And I think he just spent some time going back to the Old Testament to see what it was that he missed. It's kind of like the movie Sixth Sense. Anybody see the Sixth Sense? Woo! Those of you who haven't, I'm going to ruin the movie for you right now. <laughs> In the movie The Sixth Sense, so Bruce Willis, he plays this cop. And he is, uh, I can't remember the premise, he's trying to solve a murder or something like that, he's kind of a detective type. And there's this kid who sees dead people. Bad theology, great story though. Okay, this kid he sees dead people and he talks to dead people, so he's kind of scared all the time because he's seeing dead people and talking to dead people. And he sees Paul, or I guess it's Paul, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so Bruce Willis is this cop character and he's working with, uh, he's working with uh, uh, this kid. And he doesn't believe this kid can see dead people and all that. But somehow the kid, I don't remember the premise, the kid is somehow, I don't know if he witnessed the murder or witnesses can see the dead person, I don't know. But uh, he's working with the kid, uh, whatever the premise is. Anyway, as you go through the movie, you kind of watch, you kind of learn about Bruce Willis's 
cop character, character. And he's got a bad marriage. I mean, you know, you see him with his wife, and she's giving him the silent treatment, and, and you see them in bed together, and she's just kind of ignoring him. They got a bad marriage, and you kind of go through the movie. You're learning other things about his character, too. And you get to the end of the movie, then, and then suddenly uh, there's the big reveal. This kid is talking to Bruce Will's character and singing because he's dead. He's been dead the entire time, and he didn't even know. The Bruce Will's character, he's been dead the entire time, didn't know it, and you don't know it until this point in the movie. And it makes you want to go back and rewatch the entire movie now that you know that he was dead the whole time, and you realize, oh my goodness, his wife is doing the side treatment because he's dead. And so you kind of get the sense of, of you kind of you have to rewatch it, you pick up on the clues. Now, now you can't really watch the movie. <laughs> Now, this brings us back to Paul. <laughs> Paul thought the law was alive. This whole time, great few old times, he thought the, the law was this living thing that could give him life. And then suddenly, in that moment, he realizes, oh my goodness, the law was dead the whole time. The entire time he was in the old it was dead. The entire, it didn't work for a while and then died. It was dead the whole time. It could never give life. And, and so I, I just have to imagine he spent some time. He had to go back. He had to go back to the old time. He had to rewatch the movie and see what, what clues did he miss. And, and actually, I think we know what that happened. Actually, in Galatians chapter 2, actually, it says that he went into Arabia for three years. We don't know what he did in Arabia for three years. I think he just spent time rewatching the movie, just kind of going back through the Old Testament to see what it was that he missed. So I want to just do that. And I think this is going to set us up, not just for our text tonight, but I think for uh, the next several weeks as you're in chapters 3 and 4, because he does a lot of referencing the Old Testament. So, uh, let's do that as he's kind of, as we're kind of re-watching uh, the movie, kind of through uh, Paul's eyes, as he's kind of just kind of, what did I miss? He goes to the beginning, begins in Genesis, God created uh, the universe good, he created man good, and God placed him in the garden, but after sin, they broke broke God's commands, and humanity that moment became broken, and were cast out of the garden, but then also in that moment that they're cast out of the garden, there's also this promise in Genesis chapter 3 that one day a descendant of Adam and Eve would come who would crush the head of the serpent Satan, and can you imagine Paul, he's rereading, what he's, 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 how did I miss that? that? That's a reference to Jesus, Jesus crushed the head of the same serpent on the cross, how did I miss that? He's re-watching the movie now, by the way, he knows about the law being dead the whole time. And then he gets to Abraham. And he, he reads about the story of Abraham, how God reached out to Abraham, revealed himself to Abraham, wooed Abraham, established a friendship with Abraham, and, and began making promises to Abraham. Like, he, he gives the promise that through you, all nations will be blessed, through your family, through your descendants, all nations will be will be blessed, and, and Paul's reading that, and I said, that, he's talking about Jesus, that's the gospel right there in Genesis chapter 12, because it's through Jesus, and it's in Abraham, and all nations will be blessed, he's, he's, he's picking up on new clues, that he, how did I miss that this whole time, and, and then he gets to chapter 15, and these other promises spoken to Abraham, and, and then there's this text in Genesis 15, 6, and Abraham believed the Lord, he believed God, and God counted it to him, credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was declared righteous just because he believed God's promises 
and and Paul and Paul's like, how did I ever miss that? I mean, I, it's we're not made righteous by the law. This happened 400 years before the law even came. God declared Abraham righteous simply because he believed the promises. But then it gets even crazier as it goes on to talk about how God ratified this covenant. Uh, Abraham kind of says, okay, God, but how can I know for sure that you're going to do these promises? And so they ratified the covenant. And here's what God has Abraham do to ratify the covenant. He says, take these animals, and I want you to cut them in half, and have them face each other, and have blood kind of drip down the center. Sounds disgusting, doesn't it? Gross. But Abraham would have known exactly what God was doing, because in the ancient world, this was how they made covenants. You would cut these animals in half, you'd put them, uh, you know, across from each other, blood in the middle, and then both parties signing the covenant would walk in bare feet, of all things, through this blood path, as, as if to say, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, then what happened to me happen as what happened to these animals. May I be cut in two. And so God has it, he does this, but then something really weird happens. Abraham falls asleep, and a, a great terror comes over him, and he sees a vision, has a dream, and what he sees is he sees this, this, this smoke, this kind of pillar of smoke thing go through, uh, through the path, and then this pillar of fire thing go through the path. Well, both of those things are symbols of God's presence. You know what that means? Abraham never walked the path. He never signed the document. God signed it twice. He went through once for himself, and he went through again on behalf of Abraham, as if to say, Abraham, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, then what happens to me what has happened to these animals? And if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, which is in Genesis 17, be blameless, be perfect, then also let happen to me what happened to these animals. And Abraham, he didn't hold up his end of the bargain. Humanity did not hold up our end of the bargain. And so God had to pay the price of him not holding up the bargain. And so God was cut into, he was crushed. And then he sees Jesus, Isaiah. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was punished. Uh, he, uh, he, he, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our enemies. And so Paul, he's seeing that, and he's saying, how did I miss this? How did I possibly miss this as he's kind of re-watching all of this happened 400 years before the law was even given? That just, this does not cancel out what the law, the law doesn't cancel out what God has already declared. He's declared the gospel, revealed the gospel here in Abraham. And so then he gets to, to the Mosaic Covenant and the covenant of the law. Well, this is the thing that Abraham had staked his whole life on that he thought was this thing that can give life. And now he can see it doesn't make you righteous. Just believing the promise makes you righteous. And so, and so what does this mean then? What's the meaning of the, of the law if it can't give us life? Because now with new eyes for, for Paul as he's kind of going through the Old Testament, rewatching the movie, now he's seeing it in different ways. He's saying like, God seems a little bit bipolar. I mean, he's just been so, you know, revealing himself to Abraham, establishing friendship with Abraham, making promises. But now, he gets to Mount Sinai, and suddenly God is terrifying. I mean, there's, if you, he says, if you just touch the mountain where God is appearing with Moses, you'll die. And uh, then he has him build this tabernacle, and build the tabernacle just exactly this way, or you'll die. And then you got to be careful of doing all the things. you got the Holy of Holies, the special place. Nobody can go in there or you'll die. Except the high priest can go in there once a year, though, and he's got to be real 
really careful how he goes in, or he'll die. And actually, did you know that archaeologists have actually found um, inscriptions of what high priests actually look like? Actually, I'll, uh, here's one actually real description of, of a diagram of what a high priest actually looked like. And it, isn't it amazing how much it actually looks a lot like Michael Valtersa? Uh, I, I, I kid you not, that is absolutely true. So, uh, so exactly, uh, you just have to dress exactly like that. And then, and then the Ark of the Covenant, you just touch the Ark of the Covenant, you'll die. So, why, as Paul's rewatching the movie, you know, what's the purpose of the law? Then it doesn't make us righteous, it just kind of makes us scared. And he comes to discover some of the clues that he missed that the, the purpose of the law really is this salvation is really simple for us. It's just believing God's promises. But it's not simple for God. God can't, couldn't just, he couldn't fulfill God's promise to us. He couldn't just forgive us because we have a really serious problem. We have a sin disease. Uh, and we have this, we have this, uh, we have sin in us. And, and the reality is that what the law, and all this part of the Old Testament I just looked at, teaches us is that holy God and simple man cannot come in contact with each other or you'll die. I mean, we explode. And, and so the sin problem had to be dealt with. Uh, some of you science people, uh, you know there's this thing called matter and antimatter. I don't understand it, but, but matter apparently cannot come in contact with antimatter molecules or will just explode. And that's the picture here. God, holy God is like matter. We are simple man. We're antimatter. We come in contact, we explode. And God stays the same because he's infinite, but we uh, are done for, and what the law does, the purpose of the law, it's like a spiritual MRI. It reveals that we are made of antimatter. The law was simply there to show us that we have a sin disease. We have the antimatter. We can't cure ourselves. And so Jesus uh, absorbs all the antimatter, all the sin disease is placed on Jesus, and we are set free. As Paul is rewatching the movie, he's discovering the law is simply there to drive us through Christ and show us that we need a savior. But now Paul has one other kind of question as he's going, as you're kind of rewatching the movie here. And, and his question is this okay, I kind of get this now. Uh, okay, the promise of the seed, back in Genesis, salvation is revealed, you know, through a future Messiah, Jesus, and Abraham and Covenant. Okay, I can see how the gospel is right there in the early, in that encounter, in the covenant with, with Abraham, believing the promises. And I can even see how the law is there to reveal that, that we need a Savior. And, and I receive that picture of the prophecies of Isaiah that's fulfilled in Christ, by his wounds were healed. It's fulfilled, but still, I think Paul has a little question here. It's like, okay, I get that, but how, how does transformation really happen? I mean, because I mean, the law's not bad. I mean, the law is good. The law is God's blueprint for humanity. It's how humanity is supposed to function. So how are we, you know, okay, we get our sickness forgiveness, but are we supposed to also kind of take on, you know, the blueprint? Kind of, doesn't God want us to get back to the design he had for us? So how does that, how does that happen? And then he hits it. He keeps going through when we watch the movie. There's another covenant. The other covenant's called the New Covenant. And he lands on these verses, Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts 
that would be their God, that would be my people. Paul thought the, at first the law was alive, and it's not alive as this external thing was dead the whole time, but God, by his spirit, can, can write it onto our hearts. It becomes this living thing, it begins to transform us from the inside out, which is what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel 36, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put it within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It's the new covenant. He's given us a new heart, and he's placed his spirit in us. Uh, to be written, uh, it's the law of written hearts by his Holy Spirit. And how do you get the spirit? By faith, by simply believing the promises. Uh, Jesus said, if you, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father have to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You simply ask. And Peter, on the day of Pentecost, they said, what can we do to be saved? Peter says, be repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the promise of the Spirit is for you and your children. You receive the Spirit simply by believing the promise, just like Abraham. So, all of that is just my introduction. <laughs> and now let's get to the text. Kidding, I'm almost done. We're, we're gonna, we already preached this text, so it's, we're going to go through it quick. But just now, knowing, having we watched the movie of Paul, the promise of the seed, and Abraham believing the promise, the inability of the law to save us, and the promise of the Spirit to write the law, hearts and make us come alive inside, changing us from the inside out as a work of God's Spirit received by faith alone. In light of all that, now let's just read our text. Galatians 3, 1 14. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Uh, that doesn't mean they actually saw Jesus publicly crucified. Uh, that word publicly actually literally means graphically. What Paul's saying is, how did you Veer away from the gospel. I was just there. And I explained to you in graphic detail clearly how Jesus died on the cross physically for us, what that meant. That's what he's saying there. How could you move away from what he's done for us? Uh, verse 2, let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Here's what that means. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're, some people, some Christians kind of see that we're, you know, we're saved by grace, and we get that, we're totally saved by grace, it's totally a free gift, but at some level, we kind of then think, oh, I gotta try really hard to live the Christian life, but that's not also by grace, and, and I think even if you theologically kind of know that's not quite right, I think we all fall into the trap like this, that we, we say, yeah, we're saved by grace. It's totally free, it's a free gift. But in practice, we don't treat it like it's free gift. We kind of treat it more like it's a loan. Like kind of, God, he paid for the debt up front because we can't afford it. So he died on the cross. He paid our debt of sin up, kind of up front. Uh, but now, we kind of have to pay God back in the installment program. You know, over the course of the rest of our life, we'll be really, really grateful. Or by doing mission trips or by following him. No, you can't pay him back. And it is, it is a totally free gift. It is paid uh, in full. And thank you. And, uh, <laughs> threw me off. Uh, okay, and then, and then Paul, and Paul goes on a case study. He uses Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant, uh, having 
just watched this movie and we just looked at this. Did you suffer so many things in vain? Does, does he, if it wasn't vain, does he who supplies you with the Spirit, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, counted, credit, that's an accounting term. He was, he was put in the, the in the balance uh, column of you're, you're really truly at zero debts. Verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel before him to Abraham saying in you all the nations will be blessed. That's Genesis 12. We just looked at that. He was preaching the gospel uh, to Abraham that through you all the nations will be blessed. Talking about Jesus coming through Abraham to the nation, so that those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham and the man of faith. And then he goes on to hit the Mosaic Covenant with kind of fresh perspective. I mean, we watched the movie that the law was dead the whole time. Verse 10, for all who rely on the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law to do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God, by God before the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. It's according to Habakkuk, again, rewatching the movie. Uh, and then verse 12, but the law is not of faith, it was dead the whole time. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That means Jesus absorbed the antimatter on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteous of God in him. And then he concludes verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, just kind of clue, here's what that means. It means that we're not just saved by grace, we live by grace. You're not just justified by faith, you're sanctified by faith. Where faith is simply believing God's promises, His faithfulness. And it's so simple. I, I think the story uh, of Jesus and how those four friends brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus and laid before Jesus. And, and the text says, Jesus, seeing their faith, the faith of the friends, said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven you. He didn't ask for forgiveness. He, 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 didn't, uh, he didn't recite any kind of theological creed at that time anyway. But where was the faith? What was the faith that he saw? It was simply these four friends coming in helplessness to Jesus. We, there's nothing else we can do. We think you can. It's coming to Jesus in helplessness. That is simply what faith is. And we do that to be saved. And we also do that to live the Christian life as well. We live the Christian life by that faith. And the key verse that really brings all this together is Galatians 2.20 that you looked at last week, I've been crucified with Christ, and it was no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's not I'm saved by faith, I live, present tense, by that faith. And so the whole of the Christian life is simply continually seeing Christ crucified. I've been crucified with Christ. That was Paul's passion. It was his, it was his, uh, it was his theme of his life, not just as some kind of past event. I was kind of, when I became a Christian, I was a Christian. No, it's an ongoing reality for Paul. 
Um, for Martin Luther, he put it this way, that there's like a daily baptism I undergo. I continue, I've been crucified with Christ. It's, a, it's not a one-time event. Romans 6 says we've been buried with Christ through baptism, raised through the, through the power to do us of life, through the, through the resurrection. That wasn't just a one-time past event. It's an ongoing, continuous reality that we are connected to Christ. We die with Christ. We rise with Christ. Paul says, I die daily. It's a daily reality being in Christ and Christ in us. What happens to him happens to us. And how does that happen? Through Jesus in us by his Holy Spirit. And how do you get the Holy Spirit? Simply by faith. And what is faith? Simply coming to Jesus in utter helplessness. And having that life of the Spirit in you. What that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that having, having the, the spirit in the life is great, that doesn't mean that now you've got this spiritual power that you can tap into to live the Christian life. No, no, no. It doesn't mean that. What it means is that the spirit of the living God is in you. The Holy Spirit, a person, is in you. The person of God is in you, and he is the one, he is the one right now that does the work. He's the one who wills and who works to his good pleasure. That goes back to Ezekiel. He's the one who causes us to obey. Let me put this way. I'll really close with this. Years ago, there was kind of this trend uh, of, call, of kind of everybody walking around. WWJD breaks list. I don't know if you guys know what those are. It stands for what would Jesus do? It's kind of like, you know, it reminds you that, you know, whatever circumstances of, of life that you're in, you know, you, know, you can just ask the question, what would Jesus do in this situation? It's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. As Jesus follows, the question is not what would Jesus do, as if, as if Jesus is in some kind of external place, kind of locked away in heaven. He died on the cross for our sins, which is great, and we're forgiven. But now we're kind of left to ourselves here on earth, and we're going to, we've got his books, and so we kind of see how he lived. Let's try to just do our best to, to, to live and kind of emulate, do what he would do. No. The reality of the Christian life is this that Jesus is in you. Christ is in you by his Holy Spirit. And Jesus, as you're in, as you're in this relationship of faith, and it's all faith, believing and trusting God, which is just coming to Jesus in helplessness, presenting yourself to him in that place of helplessness, in that trust relationship, Christ in you through his Holy Spirit, he wants to do something. Jesus wants to do things. And so it's not, when you come to him, it's not so much, okay, Jesus, what's my assignment today? It's, it's not, what would Jesus do? It's, Jesus, what are you doing today? What do you want to do today? And can I be a part of it? And you, it's, you put all the weight on him. It's Christ in you. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live. But Christ who lives in me and the life I live by, in my flesh and by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Uh, it is all, it is, it is Christ alone, and that's how, and how we live by that faith, or that life by faith, and what is faith simply coming and helping us to Jesus. It's the whole of the Christian life. Let's pray. A lot of teaching here tonight. Um, just, I just pray that you would, um, maybe through all the teaching, just get to the heart of it for each one of us, which I think is you, Jesus, want to give us a renewed joy in following you, that that, uh, that's not just the amazing thing that you did for us at the cross, but that power of the cross is at work in us today, right now, that we've been buried with Christ. It's no longer we live, and, and Jesus is alive in us, and, and he's at work, and 
we get to we just we get to 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 to, uh, to kind of ride that wave as, as we as we um, as we come to you in faith and just simply coming to you in our helplessness. So uh, give us grace maybe this week to just discover a little bit more what that means, and maybe in our discussion time just to kind of flesh that out a bit more too. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>